When you first open them up, if you're not sure what you're looking at, they're very overwhelming in kind of a similar way to AREFs, honestly, where you're just like, there is so much information here and I don't know how to even begin to read it. But yes, they're such powerful tools. I mean, really, you could not use anything except for Google Analytics and Google Search Console and get yourself, you know, 90% of the way there. So super powerful tools. And there are so many good resources now for how to set up and use those tools that you don't need to like figure it out. Like there is a learning curve, but you can really shorten that learning curve with spending an hour on YouTube and just kind of walking through it. You're listening to the Stuff Marketers Say podcast, guaranteed to give you the best results you've ever seen from start to scale and beyond. Leah McDaniel, SEO specialist and account manager here at the Till Agency, joins me for another episode chatting through some of our favorite website optimization tools. In this episode, we chat specifically about our favorite tools for website audits, content research, and website speed, along with a few others. And we don't chat only about the expensive, more professional tools, but also share a few affordable tools as well. Head on over to till.agency for the show notes and to register for future podcast recordings where you can ask your questions live. We typically record at noon Eastern on Wednesdays. If you're interested in learning more about working with us, send us a note while you're over there and we can chat more about how we might be able to serve your business. Now, on to the episode. All right. Welcome back to another episode of... Stuff Marketers Say, a live episode of Stuff Marketers Say, but then also a crossover episode with Brands at Book. I am Davey Jones. I am host of both Brands at Book and Stuff Marketers Say, and I'm joined here with Leah, who is an SEO specialist and account manager over at Till Agency. And Leah had recently joined us on, uh, I guess, our last episode, which was SEO for 2022. And I know that episode has already gone live on Brands at Book. And we talked about a lot of exciting stuff in that episode. And so I was like, hey, you need to come back. We need to record another episode real quick. So today we are focusing on website optimization and some of our favorite tools for website optimization. And I'm really excited about this episode in particular because we're going to talk about some, I think, awesome tools, some tools that we use on a professional level for search engine optimization and for digital marketing. But we're also going to talk about a few tools and options for people who, where it doesn't make sense to invest in the professional tool. And I think for most people, it doesn't make sense to invest in some of the tools that we're going to talk about today. But this is just going to allow us to talk about some of the activities we do when it comes to website optimization. So first, welcome back, Leah. Thank you. It's great to be here. I was so excited. I got the email that the last episode dropped this morning. Like, this is a good podcast day. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And I think a good follow up to uh, the last episode. So if you're interested in checking that out, that's SEO for 2022, talking about some things to expect next year. But as I was putting together the notes for this episode, I'd send over a few tools to you that I was really excited about. But then I got even more excited about some of the tools that you sent back to me. So some I recognize, some I don't, but also they're just a lot of tools I think that are even going to be more relevant for people listening to this episode. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff that I sent over are things that I used when I was first getting started with SEO. When people tell you like, oh, these are the gold standard tools and you go to sign up for them and you're like, I am a solopreneur. I cannot afford those tools. So yeah, I included some tools on the list that are that make SEO much more approachable. 
Yeah. So really excited to dive into that. Before we get started, if you want to join us live for these episodes, we are going to host live episodes each week on Wednesday. We've been playing around with the time a little bit just to see if one time works better than another. Um, right now, we are recording episodes live at noon Eastern on Wednesday afternoon. So it's going to be most Wednesday afternoons unless it's, you know, let's say we have Christmas coming up. We won't be recording the week of Christmas, for instance. So you can find out more details about that over at till.agency. All right. But let's dive in. When we talk about website optimization, Leah, what kinds of things are we talking about? Yeah. So website optimization is a really interesting stew of a bunch of different really interconnected things. So it has to do with improving technical things on the site, things that have to do with your site speed, but it also has to do with improving your site content and improving the user experience. So all of these things kind of play together in the SEO game. Yeah. And I think we have a tendency to think whenever someone talks about optimization, I think for a lot of people, their mind immediately goes to search engine optimization. And Really, if you were to focus just on search engine optimization, you should, if you take a holistic approach, touch on you know a lot of the other aspects of website optimization as well. So for instance, we might be talking about uh, conversion optimization and trying to get more people to convert you know, to whatever the end goal is of a given page. But search engine optimization, I think when done well, really focuses on anything to do with improving website performance. So under that, I think, is user experience, conversion optimization, technical performance updates, which you alluded to, website speed, you know, content, I think, is even in there somewhere. So that's a pretty wide umbrella that we're talking about today. So we're not going to exhaust website optimization today, but we are going to talk about, I think, a few different aspects of optimization. So one of those is just kind of a general site audit. Another is content we're going to talk a little bit about improving website speed and then a few other tools that maybe are worth mentioning, but we won't have time for today. So let's dive in and start talking about maybe some of our, you know, just more broadly when we're, you know, let's say a client comes to us or somebody says, you know, Hey, I'm trying to improve my website. I don't even really know where to start. Where is it that we start? Oh, so where we would start is by running a site audit which gives us the kind of 30,000 foot view of a site. It kind of looks at a little bit of everything. It looks at the user experience. It looks at the site speed. It looks at technical issues. And the tool that we use for those site audits is primarily SEMrush or SEMrush. And that's a really great kind of general SEO tool that can give you a whole bunch of information in one place. Yeah. So SEMrush is one of my favorite tools. And like you said, I think it does a really good job of giving you that 360 degree look at a website. So that's typically where I want to start. And, you know, in general, what kinds of things would we find in initial audit report? Like what are the sorts of things that, you know, maybe are going to send the alarm bells off and say, okay, these are areas we want to focus. Yeah, so pretty much every site that we look at is going to have some kind of technical errors like redirect chains and 404, like links that don't lead anywhere. So some of those kind of user experience stuff. And then there's going to be like headings that are out of order or pages that don't have meta descriptions, things like that. 
I would say, you know, whenever we're doing an audit for somebody, we typically tell them that, you know, it can be overwhelming getting it back, right? When we get an audit back, it's like, there's going to be something. It's like, if we, you know, rip down all the walls in our house, we're going to find something behind the wall that might need, you know, technically needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. But is it worth ripping down the walls in our house? You know, for most things, probably not, right? You know, you only ever want to do that if there was maybe a really serious issue. So some of those things, you know, are things that ought to be fixed, but uh, aren't a huge deal. And I think that, you know, that's, that's sort of the key, I think, going into using any sort of audit tool, you know, finding that balance between, or I guess maybe preventing yourself from just kind of freaking out when you see the report, right? Like these tools are, are meant to uncover stuff. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but two of my favorite tools when it comes to general site audits are SEMrush and AREFS. So AREFS is just A-H-R-E-F-S. We've been using AREFS more and more lately. Do you have anything, you know, just in, in terms of uh, comparing those two tools, any thoughts on either? Have you found yourself enjoying one more than the other? Yeah. So if we're just comparing SEMrush and AREFS, I definitely find myself in SEMrush more. I think it's more user-friendly when you're just trying to get a holistic look at a site. AREFS feels pretty technical. It feels like a scientific tool. But there are a few really specific things that I will specifically leave SEMrush and go to AHREFS for that they just do better than SEMrush. What do you feel like those things are in particular that you value over AREFS more than SEMrush? So the big thing is probably the competitive analysis. So on SEM Rush, it doesn't really seem to get a clear idea of what your site is about. It basically takes the name of your site, like it takes your URL and finds similar URLs and says, These people are your competition. It's like, maybe not, <laughs> maybe they're not. Sure. But AREFs does a better job of really understanding what your site is about, like using the information on your site to really compare to the content of other people's sites and find your actual competition. So that's yeah, one I, thing that AREFs does so much better. We'll get into keyword research a little bit more when it comes to content research. So we have a few other tools that we can talk about in terms of finding topic ideas. But when it comes to keyword research, do you find that SEMrush is where you go or AREFs? I kind of switch between the two of them. I feel like they turn up different stuff, which is interesting. So I like to kind of compare their results since I have access to both of them. But if I were just going to open up one tool, it would probably be SEMrush. They have a tool called the Keyword Magic Tool, which is magic. It's a great tool. <laughs> It really is. I really, I find myself more on SEMrush when I'm trying to do keyword research, also understanding sort of the current search visibility for a website. So what does a domain currently rank for or get impressions for? For AREFs though, I find that, you know, anything backlinks really is my favorite tool. Yes, for sure. It definitely excels there too. Yeah. Sure. If you are looking to invest in either of these two tools, I think probably SEMrush is you know, our preferred tool from, you know, kind of a, like we said, 360 degree view. With that said, unless you're doing SEO on a sort of professional level, it might be a bit much to invest in either of those tools. So do you have a recommendation for a maybe lower cost, more inexpensive tool that people can use to achieve something similar? Yeah, absolutely. So my recommendation would be Mangools, I think is how you say it. It's a tool that's very similar to SEMrush. 
In fact, in some tests, Mangools has outperformed SEMrush in certain areas, especially related to keyword research in terms of like accuracy. I can't remember off the top of my head what the like monthly subscription price is, but it is much more accessible than signing up for something like SEMrush or AREFs. And honestly, I think SEMrush and AREFs are too powerful for your average user, especially for somebody who's just getting started. It's like we were saying, the audits are going to turn up a long list of stuff. And if you're not quite familiar with what all those things need, you're going to look at that audit and say, there are a thousand things on my website that I need to fix. And I'm out. Like, I'm goodbye. Yeah. I'm not doing SEO anymore. So I think those tools are a little overpowered for your average user and especially for beginners. And so I would definitely recommend checking out Mangools. That's M-A-N-G-O-O-L-S. Okay, awesome. And we'll make sure that we put that in the show notes, of course, as well. So this is good segue into uh, some keyword research. One tool that I want to mention, I think that, you know, people can use sort of on a free level for keyword research, but then also just as a broader SEO tool is Ubersuggest. That's a tool that I've used in the past, more just for tutorials for people, because like you said, it is a more inexpensive route for people. So Ubersuggest is another one is just spelled uh, U-B-E-R. Uh, suggest. But moving into content research. So, I mean, first, why would we even use a tool for content research? Well, you could just go into Google and, you know, type in some things and write down the results you get. And, you know, you could do it manually. You don't need a tool, but... Sure. I guess to get more... To get more specific with my question, it was a a bad question. (laughs) I guess first, why would we use a tool for content research versus just going off of intuition? Oh, gotcha. So I have run into this a lot with clients, with colleagues. People think they know what their audience is asking. They think they can just intuit what people want to know and they write content based on their hunches and it doesn't take them anywhere. So you would sometimes be surprised at the way people phrase things or specific things that they're looking for kind of higher up the funnel. And so it's so much better to just find out, like just do the research and find out what people are looking for instead of just taking a guess. Yeah, I would agree wholeheartedly with that. First, I don't mean to downplay intuition. All right. So obviously, I wanted us to get at that point, which is, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And I think I'm always surprised uh, having done or doing keyword research, you know, what it is that people are actually searching for. I think for us in particular, it's important because so many things are geographic too. You know, I remember working with a wedding photographer out West and uh, people search by county out west, but out you know east where I was located, nobody searches by county, right? They search by you know generally the the nearest big city. So had I focused on the city search instead of the county search, and of course to a certain extent we were focusing on both. But had I focused on you know maybe just the city, I probably wouldn't have gotten that site as far as we got it. So I think keyword research is is really important from that perspective. I also just get I mean it's just such an easy way to generate more content ideas, right? Like you put in what you think, like you maybe have an idea of where to start and you do that. And then, you know, you look at the related searches and then you're like, oh, that's interesting. And that actually has a ton of search volume. And all of a sudden you have all of these different ideas for content. Right. Your intuition is definitely a good place to start your research. 
it's not it's not where you want to end up. But if you have a hunch or a general idea of what people might be searching for, definitely start there and see where that fans out and where that takes you. So what are your favorite tools for content research? And I did phrase this a little bit differently. So, you know, we're talking about content research and keyword research. I think really at the end of the day, we kind of mean the same thing. You know, from our perspective, it's okay. You know, we have an idea of maybe what to create content for or what to create content around. And we're really trying to get that dialed in. On the one hand, there are the SEO tools that we just talked about, right? That are very SEO specific. So they're going to give you an idea like SEMrush, Arefs, Ubersuggest, Mangools, I'm assuming, will give you an idea of what the search volume is. So how many people are searching for it? Maybe keyword difficulty, how difficult this tool thinks it's going to be to rank for that given search. It's going to give you related searches. You know, I don't know if there's anything else I'm missing that you want to especially call out. But these other tools that we're talking about for content research are going to give you more broadly, I think, you know, content ideas, maybe based on additional factors like social signals as well. All right. So I just want to preface your answer with that. So what are your, some of your favorite content tools? Yeah. So probably my favorite content tool is also a budget tool that I would definitely recommend for people who aren't trying to spend thousands of dollars doing their research. And that is Keywords Everywhere, which is just a browser plugin that you turn on and just search in Google or on Pinterest or YouTube or any of those other search engines. And it will just on the page show you the search volume and the competition for the keyword that you search for, as well as related keywords and kind of long tail keywords, which are things that might be more tangentially related. So that's a super powerful tool. And I love to use awesome. that. Go ahead. No, I was just going to ask, so keywords everywhere would maybe fall into, and I, I think I've used this a long time ago, but that would fall into maybe a more traditional SEO tool, right? Would that be correct? Yes. For, from a keyword mm -hmm. research perspective. Okay, awesome. Yeah, but go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're fine. So my favorite combination for when I'm just trying to brainstorm topic ideas and want to have a little bit more of that technical information about search volume and stuff is to use keywords everywhere on a site called Answer the Public, which is a search engine, but you just type in a topic that you're curious about and it will show you this whole web of things that people ask or what people search for related to that topic. And if you have keywords everywhere on at the same time, it's just, it's so much data. I'm, my background is in data management and it just makes my little nerd heart so happy. You know, I haven't used the answer to the public and maybe you were the one that told Krista about this, but she had sent that over to me actually a few days ago and was like, Hey, this is awesome. So I don't know if you were the one that shared that with her, but I saw it for the first time just a few days ago. Yeah. So I'm going to have to dig into that. That sounds really interesting. One of my favorite tools for content research has previously been BuzzSumo, which approaches things, I think, from a little bit of a different angle. I think you get some good you know, SEO type information from BuzzSumo, but I think mostly it's going to focus on social signals and how often you know, different content pieces are shared, but you can do some interesting competitive research as well. So if you know who your competitors are in your space, you know, you can look at even some of their most shared articles and things like that, just as you go about generating ideas. And then, you know, this is, I think, going to be not exciting for people, but it is a free <laughs> option. Google Search Console and Google Analytics. You know, I think people roll their eyes though, because it's like, it feels 
really complicated. And I think you can take that information and do some maybe complex things with it. But I think, and tell me if I'm wrong, tell me what you think. I think they're actually simpler tools than people maybe feel like they are just based on the dashboards. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. They have been getting more user-friendly looking, but when you first open them up, if you're not sure what you're looking at, they're very overwhelming in kind of a similar way to AREFs, honestly, where you're just like, there is so much information here and I don't know how to even begin to read it. But yes, they're such powerful tools. I mean, really, you could not use anything except for Google Analytics and Google Search Console and get yourself, you know, 90% of the way there. So super powerful tools. And there are so many good resources now for how to set up and use those tools that you don't need to like figure it out. Like there is a learning curve, but you can really shorten that learning curve with spending an hour on YouTube and just kind of walking through it. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of my favorite things to do, especially towards the end of the year here, and I've talked about it in different pieces of content, especially lately, is just do a content audit with with Google Analytics and Google Search Console and just looking at basically all the content on the website and how it's performing. You know, in Google Analytics, it's really easy to do that. You know, you can filter by time frame and then go over to, I think it's a behavior tab and all content and take a look at, you know, things like website traffic, right? And how long people are spending on that page and, you know, alert you to maybe different issues if you see maybe higher bounce rates on given pages. But you can get a lot of information there. And I think at the end of the day, yeah, there might be, you know, different metrics that you don't quite understand, but there probably is a lot that you do understand, you know, like how many visitors have gone to a page and how long they spend on that given page, right? Right. And then even in Google Search Console, I think maybe it takes a little bit there's a little bit more clicking around you have to do when you go to the performance tab, but I spend most of my time, if you go into Google search console, go to performance and you get to see all sorts of interesting information. You want to know how you rank for different searches, go to the performance tab in Google search console and take a look at your average position. Take a look at your different click-through rates. I mean, that's like you said, a ton of information and you don't have to pay for it. You know, you just have to have a Google account. So I like to spend a lot of time there. And it also gives me ideas for future content to create, even within, I think, especially within Google Search Console, when I'm looking at the different queries that my site isn't making impressions for, I guess maybe even more so around content that I need to improve that I've already created. And that's even better, right? Because that means I don't have to create something from scratch. I can you know, go and improve something that's already on my website. And moving it from page two to page one I mean, that can make a big difference in terms of search traffic. Yeah. Yeah. So Google Search Console is definitely my favorite tool for tracking and analyzing content that I've already written, just tracking how it's performing and looking at what it ends up showing up in search for. And if there is something that's showing up that I wasn't expecting, maybe I can optimize for that a little bit better. Or if it's showing up in searches that I didn't intend it to, maybe I need to go and tweak that way. So it's a really great way to kind of track performance over time. And it's awesome for doing, like you said, a a content audit like that. Just another little tidbit, if you're using keywords everywhere in Google Search Console, like while you have it on, it will show you the keyword volume and difficulty for those keywords that you're ranking for. So in addition to the impressions and clicks that Google Search Console shows you, it also shows you 
the volume and stuff, which makes it easier to make your decisions all kind of in one place. I need to start using keywords everywhere. I don't know why. Yeah, you not. do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, based on everything you're saying. like, And I know it's been recommended to me before. Like, I've definitely looked at it. But yeah, that's pretty awesome. I didn't know it had that additional feature inside of Google Search Console. So we will make sure that we link to all of those. Other big category of tools that we want to talk about is assessing and improving website speed. All right. So tools related to website speed. I think this is probably one of the more frequent questions that we get asked. I think it's maybe more so this year because Core Web Vitals rolled out. If you don't know what Core Web Vitals is, we talked a little bit about it in our last episode. I also have a podcast episode on Brands That Book called Core Web Vitals. So you can check that out as well. But there's plenty of information online. But essentially assessing user experience, you know, and one of those big metrics is going to be website speed. I think a lot of the internet fails. According to Core Web Vitals, we alluded to that last during our last episode. And, you know, of course, like, you know, for people who don't have any context for website speed, they just see, oh, I failed and that's really bad and I got to fix it now. And if I don't, everything's going to, you know, burn down or something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. So the website speed is more and more important as the majority of people are making searches on their phones because. I have definitely had this experience where I type a search in and it takes, you know, 10, 12 seconds for this site to load. I'm like, is this broken? Like, I don't have time to wait for this. So I'll just exit out and click on the next result. And I think people have more patience when they're sitting at a desktop making a search maybe. But yeah, it's becoming more critical as people move toward mobile, but it's still not like a make or break thing. I think people get really obsessive about site speed when it's not the top priority by a long shot. Yeah. I think a good way to preface it is to say that like, you know, a website speed test or a page speed test is not the same thing as like a user experience test. Right. So they are like, so we're going to talk here about GT metrics, which is my favorite website speed test. And, you know, would love to hear if you have a different favorite tool to go to for website speed, but when you go to GT metrics and it tells you how fast your page loads, like that is not necessarily indication of how well optimized your page is, right? That is telling you how fast your page loads. That's it, right? And so you can make your page load quicker by doing things like removing all of the media on your website, right? That would make your page load more quickly. Does that mean your page is more optimized? Probably not, you know, especially if that media is crucial to what you do. So if you're a photographer and you don't have any photos on your website, you know, that's a mistake. You might score really well on your page speed test, but I have a feeling that not a lot of people are going to book you, right? So that's something I think to keep in mind when we talk about page speed. I think the good thing is that, you know, as Google rolls these things out, it does force people to pay attention to it a little bit more, right? So I think in general, you know, more of us across the web, right, are trying to make sure our websites load more quickly. So do you like GT metrics? Do you use something else? No, I love GT metrics. That's definitely my go-to tool. I will often compare it with PageSpeed Insights, which is an official Google tool, especially for sites that I'm less familiar with, like if I'm working on a client site or something, just to get, you know, the official Google reading on what the site speed is because sometimes it's a little bit off from what GT metrics shows you, but I love GT metrics. The, the waterfall view is so useful when you're trying to diagnose what exactly is holding up your page from loading. 
because it shows you like a little Gantt chart of how things are loading and you just look for the biggest sections and and go from there. It makes it very easy to see. Like I really like data visualized like that and it's great. Yeah, I would agree that GT Metrics I think is one of the more comprehensive tools and just easiest to understand. You know, there's probably, if you've never been on GT Metrics before, there's probably going to be information that feels a little bit overwhelming. You know, you just alluded to the waterfall view. So I can't remember if that shows up right away or if you have to click on the waterfall view, but either way, easy to find. But like you said, it just shows you all the resources and basically when and how quickly they're loading. And you just look for the one that's you know, ones that are slowing things down. And then you can start to assess from there and and make decisions, you know, and if you hire somebody to do this, this is probably what they're doing for you, you know, is something similar. One thing about GT metrics is if you're using the free version, I think it's only giving you a desktop reading for your site. So that's something to keep in mind. We obviously have a paid version of GT metrics. So we can look from, you know, different devices and different browsers, make sure that mobile is good as well. Because if you go over to PageSpeed and Insights, you'll find that they're going to give you a mobile score and a desktop score. And I believe they give you that mobile for score first, right? So that's the first one you see. And it's typically not quite as good as desktop. No. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to say PageSpeed Insights will show you that mobile score for free, but the GT Metrics paid version might be worth it depending on how deep you're trying to dig into stuff. Another great thing about GT Metrics is they don't just leave you hanging. So if they notice a problem, like your images are too large or whatever, there's a little thing you can click on the result where it'll show you like why and how to fix this. And it might not give you a super comprehensive answer, but it'll be enough to get you started. So you're not just like, I have no idea what that means. I don't even know how to begin to fix that. So GT Metrics kind of gives you a little nudge at least. Yeah. And PageSpeed Insights, I think, links off to some stuff too, but it's usually, you know, Google type help, which is... yeah. Not quite as easy for, I think, the average person to understand as GT Metrics is. You know, I would say too that from a just like benchmarking standpoint, I find that, you know, I typically go back to GT Metrics. It's not that uh, PageSpeed Insights is not important to check. Like we check PageSpeed Insights for each site as well. Typically, there is like Core Web Vitals, for instance, built into GT Metrics, which is another reason Mm -hmm. why I like GT Metrics. But you know, the way they, these different uh, GT metrics, Pingdom, PageSpeed Insights and others test sites is different, you know, and I, you know, I should have refreshed myself on exactly how they're different before this. But I do find like going back to GT metrics and using that as a benchmark is what served me best in the past. So that's my favorite tool, but I use it in conjunction with tools like, so I use that typically for my assessment. And then I like WP Rocket and Imageify. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but it's ImageFi is a tool made by the same company as WP Rocket. So they're the same company, two different products, and they work really well together. So I typically use those tools for actually trying to improve performance on my website. Those aren't the only two things that we would use, but I think they can get you a lot of the way there without having to go and make any sort of technical or structural changes to your website. For sure. So I use WP Rocket on sites that I work on as well. And it definitely does a lot of the heavy lifting behind the scenes in a pretty user friendly. You just, you know, click the little toggle button. You don't have to go in and change any code or anything. 
So WP Rocket definitely does a lot of the heavy lifting. I use Short Pixel, which basically is the same thing as Imageify, but it's a must-have for image-heavy sites. Like I'm also a photographer, and if I wasn't compressing my images, <laughs> my site would never yeah. load. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And Short Pixel, I've heard really good things about as well. There's another team member over at Dave and Krista that highly recommends Short Pixel too. So that's a tool. You wouldn't need both Imageify and Short Pixel. So those two tools do something similar. So there'd be no, no reason to have both of them. Right. That's actually a very good thing to point out. I have had people say like, I'm running my images through, what is it? Like JPEG mini and short pixel. And then I upload them and they, they're super grainy. It's like, why are you running them <laughs> through two tools? Like sure. just find one that you really like that works for your site and works for the way your brain works and just use one. You don't want to be running your images through multiple different compressors. <laughs> Yeah. And we have a few more things to go through here, but you know, we're kind of wrapping up our discussion about tools right now. And that's an important thing. I just, you know, just to add to that, uh, Leah is, you know, less is more. I think when it comes to tools, you know, there are a lot of tools that we just mentioned today. You don't have to use them all, right? Like for instance, in each category, like if you just got SEM rush, for instance, like that could help you with most of the first few things that we talked about. So keyword research audits, you know, good kind of all around tool. And then you wouldn't, you know, necessarily need to get any of these content research tools, right? You know, or Uber suggest or Mangles or, or whatnot. But there's no reason that you have to go out and get Mangles keyword research, or I'm sorry, Mangles, SEM rush, Uber suggest, you know, right? Uh, you, like, for the average person, I think just having one of those tools is going to suffice. Same thing goes with SEO plugins, you know, the amount of times that people are like, well, I'm running rank math, and I'm running Yoast. And it's like, you don't want to run both those things. One, it's going to slow down your site. It's going to put more burden, you know, in terms of performance on your website. So, and they do the same thing. So pretty much anything you do with Yoast, you can do with RankMath. So you only need to choose one. So we're not suggesting, the point of this episode, I guess, is not to say, hey, you need to go out and get all of these tools. It's like, here, here are some of our favorites. You know, if there's a issue you're trying to solve right now, pick one and use it. Yeah, so if I had to make a recommendation, if you are going to get one tool off of this list to get you started, get keywords everywhere. I think it's the most user-friendly. There's no learning curve. And then you can kind of see what you need from there. But I think if you just got keywords everywhere, you'd get a lot of the way to where you needed to go. Like you could do a lot of optimization on your site with just the information you could get from keywords everywhere. And then I would say, yeah, maybe get like a Mangles or an Uber Suggest if you're trying to stay more on the budget end of things. You definitely don't want to have too many of these tools. Even myself as like a professional who does this for clients, if I'm trying to look at all of the data in both AREFs and SEMrush, for example, it's too much. Like you can't take action on all of the things that it's telling you about. So just pick one and don't worry about necessarily whether it's the best one. Just Pick one that you like and that you can use and you'll do just fine. Yeah. Yeah. And the only thing I'll add to that is that tools themselves don't fix anything, right? Right. You know, like, like just by installing Yoast, that doesn't mean the SEO, like you, you haven't done any SEO at that point. Like there are certain things maybe that have been done a little bit, I guess, in the background by just installing one of those plugins, but there are still 
things that you need to do to optimize your website and it won't fix broken content. So last thing I say about that, moving on to, you know, one, I guess it's just a few other questions. One, any other tools that you would recommend? And then I want to get into kind of like what sorts of tasks make the biggest difference and where people should focus their time? And then what should people do on their own versus what should they consider hiring out? So let's just first start with any other tools that you think deserve honorable mention. Hmm. Let me see. Honorable mention. So the Yoast plugin, I guess we mentioned that. That's worth an honorable mention. And none other that I can really think of off the top of my head right now. How about you, Davey? Yeah, we've covered, I kind of mentioned other stuff as we went through the episode. I typically, I've been using Rank Math versus uh, Yoast lately. I, I prefer Rank Math. I just feel like it has a wider feature set. The free version, I think, provides maybe the widest feature set of any free SEO plugin. And the paid version, which is what we use, I think is great. SEO Press is another one that I like, I think, before going to Yoast. With that said, if you have Yoast on your website and you're not experiencing any issues, I'm not saying that you have to go out and get one of those other ones. So moving on in terms of like what sorts of optimization tasks make the biggest difference? Like where should people be focusing their time? That's difficult because it's hard for me to say with any like real, you know, like I said, I'm a data nerd and I don't have the data to really back up and say one specific thing is going to make the most difference. And like I was saying at the top, a lot of these things really overlap with each other. So if you're working on optimizing your site speed, for example, you're also working on your user experience at the same time. And SEO moves kind of slow. I hate to say that because people are like, oh, slow is bad, like I'm done. But you're not going to see instant results from SEO. And so it can be hard to say like, okay, this improvement I'm seeing is specifically because of this action that I took six months ago. Unless you're only doing one thing every six months, you might be able to narrow it down there. But anecdotally, I would say that working on content, like doing a deep dive into keyword research or topic research, working on kind of fixing the existing keyword mapping of your site, by which I mean, like which keywords are you targeting with which pages and making sure that you don't have any keyword cannibalization going on, working on that. And then well-written, well-researched articles, whether you write them yourself or pay somebody to write them for you. I think focusing on that kind of content end is really going to take you the farthest if you were just going to focus on one area. Content is a great answer. If you don't know where to start, start with your content. Because at the end of the day, if you're not creating great content, you have nothing to optimize. So that would be the first place I'd say to start from there. You know, I've seen big jumps for people just by going in and making sure that like, you know, they set, you know, keyword researched page titles and meta descriptions, you know, meta descriptions, obviously not a ranking factor, but certainly can increase click through rate. But for a site that has a ton of content that's never really been optimized, you know, sometimes this, that really does make a difference. So I think that you can see, I don't know, some progress there for sure. When it comes to website speed, that's one of those areas where I feel like, you know, if you're going from like, if you're taking like just decimals off of your website speed, you know, like as far as impact goes, I don't know. It's always a good thing to improve. If you notice your website is super slow, you can probably do two or three things that are relatively simple 
that are going to make a big impact. So I would focus on those. But then, you know, if you get your website and it's loaded in like 2.1 seconds and, you know, best practices, two seconds, you know, and then you spend 10 days trying to get shave off that 0.1, you know, that's probably not the best use of your time. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, I mean, ballpark, I think what I would say just in terms of like what sorts of optimizations make the biggest difference, but I wholeheartedly agree, you know, especially if you're just getting started, content is where I would focus my efforts. Yeah. Uh, and for things, doing that, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. No, after you. I was going to say, and working on content is a great place to start because you don't need a big expensive tool to do that. Like you can do content research for free or nearly free. And so if you're just getting started and you just want to see some movement on your site before you make a big investment, either into having somebody do this for you or into getting a tool, just creating some good content is something you can do almost just for the cost of your time. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as Basically, what should people be doing on their own? What should they be spending their time on? And what should they consider hiring out? Yeah, so I think the calculus there is how much is your time worth? And that answer is going to be completely different depending on people's businesses and where they are kind of in the phases of whether they're just getting started or whether they're an established business. SEO is, it takes some time both to do the work that is needed and then to see the results. But it's really not as scary or hard as I think some people think it is. I think your average person can do SEO with a little bit of time to learn what they're looking at. And so do you need to outsource SEO stuff? Probably not if you've got lots of time and no money. You know, There are some maybe developer kind of stuff, the very technical fixes. But that's, you know, the last 10% of the, the whole SEO effort. Yeah. So I think it just depends on how much time you have to dedicate to this, but it's not hard. Like it's not something that you could not figure out for yourself. I know that it can be overwhelming, especially when you're looking at some of these tools, but it's not an insurmountable thing. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, one of the hard things about this question, right? And so there's going to be no definitive answer is that, like you said, everybody's time is, you know, worth something different to them. You know, two, I'd say most of us can pretty much figure anything out, right? Like short of building a rocket ship, you know, I could have built my own house. I could have figured that out. <laughs> the, the end result and the amount of time that it would have taken it would be drastically different than had a professional done it. You know, I think as far as like content goes, you know, I'm a big believer that especially if you're first getting started, like learning how to create good content is just a great skill to have. Mm -hmm. You know, I think for any business owner, just learning some copywriting uh, can go a long way. But at the end of the day, you know, like, do you want to be the one that's fixing technical errors on your website? You know, again, for most people, that's probably not worth their time, especially when it comes to maybe some other optimization, you know, in the way of uh, website speed and trying to figure all of that out, probably not worth your time. Yeah. So not a perfect answer. If anybody has a question about yeah. that, uh, happy to answer. <laughs> happy to happy to make more specific recommendations. But Leah, I do want to say thanks again for your time. Anything that we didn't cover today that you wish we had mentioned? Hmm. I mean, I could teach a semester long course on writing content, but I feel like you've already covered that pretty well with, with other episodes. 
Well, we can yeah. never cover it enough, you know, and I, and honestly, <laughs> so we've, we've had, you know, on Brands at Book, at least we've had a number of episodes on copywriting on the Till podcast, Stuff Marketers Say, our copywriter or one of our copywriters, uh, Sarah Klongerbo has shared a few copywriting tips with us as well. And that's a great episode to check out, but we haven't really talked about copywriting from an SEO perspective. So mm. perhaps that will be the third episode we have you back on. All right. Well, that sounds good. I'm excited. For awesome. That. Yeah. Well, thanks again for joining us today. And for those of you who are listening, but wish you had listened live so you could ask your questions live, you can register for the next live recording over at till.agency. There's a bar at the top of the website. Just click on that. It will tell you what next week's topic is, and then you'll be able to register there. It's free. You can show up. You can ask questions. You cannot ask questions. And uh, But I do think that things tend to be more enjoyable when there's people here and there's questions to be answered. So anyways, hope we see you soon. And thanks for joining us for another episode of Stuff Marketers Say. Yeah, thank you for having me.